Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um, occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Welcome to Trailblazers on SENZ. For another week, I'm Ricky Swanell, and today my guest is a legend of New Zealand football. 50 matches for the football ferns in a two-decade career. I could go on and list the CV and we'd be here forever, so I'll just introduce and say hello, Maya Jackman. Welcome to Trailblazers. Hello, Ricky. Lovely to be here. So excited to have you on. And I'm, you know, so obviously watching the FIFA draw last week, I thought, there's our Trailblazers guest. Um, but you're very enthusiastic ball pulling out of the pot and showing it what was that like oh it was um the the pulling out of the ball <laughs> yeah. yeah that we were given a a good you know strict briefing before that um you know stand here pick it up like this twirl it like that it wasn't you have to take your hand out to show you're not ma- faffing around with the or, balls yeah. or something it's i mean cuz there's uh what do you call it um Rumours that one of the balls is cold or hot or vibrating, you know, so they're trying to like get rid of all those types of things and it's all about integrity. Um, So, yeah, so we have to, you can watch while you're swirling the balls and sometimes the balls would go riding up along (laughs) near the top and you're like, oh my God, that's going to pop out. But then when, when they settle, you have to look up, pull your hand up, then pick it up and open it. And you're like, hands are shaking. I wanted that because we, as I say, had this tiny little minor role in the drawer, and we got given an Excel spreadsheet of all the things that could go wrong, which included the balls falling out of the pots, the pots being knocked over. There's a lot of pressure on those moments to pull the teams out. Oh yeah, I mean, just in the dress rehearsal, we were all shitting out. Can I say that? <laughs> well, you have now. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, Jeremy from Cameroon, oh my lord, on the night he was sweating bricks. He was so scared that something would go wrong and we were in the wings waiting to go out and I'm massaging his shoulders and um, and yeah we're dancing around him trying to get him and uh, and the FIFA people are like you you play on a field of you know in front of yeah. 60,000 80,000 people and you're nervous for this he's like there's too much pressure <laughs> <laughs> amazing it- take us I guess behind the scenes of of a FIFA thing it, it- it seemed like it's just everything next level from any anything I've ever seen. Oh yeah, very particular, very meticulous. Um, everything has to be done on time. Like I, I remember um, working on the FIFA Under Seventeen Women's World Cup as the competition manager, and as a player, you're in the the changing rooms, and they knock on your door, and they're like, "Get out!" And you're like, "Oh my god, calm down!" And then when I was on the other side, I totally understood why the timing was so tight because it's all about TV and um, all sorts of things like that. So just from that aspect, everything has to be really, really, you know, drum tight. So the draw's no different. Um, There's um, so many things going on. We had our own changing room or dressing room, so sometimes we were just shut in there by yourself. Wow. Chilling. And uh, I open mine because I'm like, no, I like to see what's going on. (laughs) And there's, like, people just sprinting past left, right and centre and... 
um, yeah, we did a, a, a full dress rehearsal on the Friday and um, I was t- telling you before when we met, um, there was no feedback for anyone for hair and makeup except that my part was not quite down the middle. So that's how meticulous they get. And I'm like, <laughs> on whose standards my part isn't quite down the middle? Oh, what if I like it off centre? Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, so yeah, very particular. They thought Carly Lloyd was wearing um, different earrings on the actual night to what she was wearing on rehearsal night. So they were a little bit worried that that would make noises in the in the mouthpiece when we were up on stage. But the the wardrobe guys like, no, they're exactly the same. So they're like, okay, stand down, that's fine. It's funny too because I was watching it, and, and our, our our colleague here and our friend Kirsty Stanway was obviously doing an amazing job as the presenter and watching her in the rehearsals. Like. She's got different shoes on today. Then she had different earrings on, and I was like, I can only imagine. I, I guess maybe for Kiwis, because we don't really like the faff that much. Yeah. <laughs> and for Zoe Sadowski, who's the snowboarder, must be going, "What have I got myself into here?" Yeah, I mean, she she must have been, you know, cruisy as check eh? yes. She's just like, "What? Are you, how's it going?" Yeah. So she was like, "Ooh." Um, but yeah, no, um, lots of faff and uh, they had to sign everything off. They, so take a photo of your dress. I bought my own dress. Um, they took a photo, okayed it, and then I brought it in and they still had to okay it on the day and match it to everything, make sure you didn't blend in with the background, all that type, type <laughs> of stuff. And um, Amanda had a, a different dress on from dress rehearsal to the actual night because they wanted her in something different. So, yeah, they had backups if yours wasn't good enough. Yeah, <laughs> Crazy. I mean, you've been involved with FIFA before you played in, in one of their World All-Stars 11 um, years ago. What is it about, I guess, people here, we're not a full-on football country, we know a lot, but just the next level of the the scale of the sport, the money, the people that are involved. Yeah, I mean, we... A lot of us were talking um, backstage and um, some Kiwis, you know, that are involved in the LOC here um, said, oh, we don't think New Zealand know what's about to hit them. Um, uh, yeah, being at a World Cup, um, you don't you don't necessarily see all the behind-the-scenes stuff, but when I went to the FIFA All-Stars, I mean, that was just next-level, um, six-star six hotels, um, anything you need, anything you want. Um, it's just, it's all, it's all there. It's, um, yeah, just, it's definitely next level, mm. very, very much mm. so. Um, to nothing that I've ever, ever, ever experienced before. It's an interesting point you make, and I think I had Sarah Gregorius on the show a few months back, and we were talking about the, the World Cup next year and um, not knowing what's hit us yet. Do you think the draw might have just started to show Kiwis that, oh, okay, this is this is going to be big? Yeah, I mean, hopefully, um, again, like if you're not sort of right there and right in it, it is hard to understand what the enormity of it, but hopefully from the draw there'll be a lot of messages coming out about, you know, who's coming down, what what that's going to bring. You know, the USA will be here in New Zealand and the number of people that that will bring. There's so many passionate uh, footballing countries that will bring hordes of people with them into this country because they know, they understand football. Um, you know, Europe is where football started. So they bring, you know, Netherlands in the 2019 World Cup. I mean, they had people, thousands and thousands and thousands of fans coming into the stadium. So New Zealand's going to be hit by a lot <laughs> of people and a lot of different cultures. And it, it, it's um, the draw has definitely helped. I think uh, people understand how big it is. My partner was backstage with me and she was like, wow. I actually didn't. I I get it now. I get it. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, how big is it that New Zealand, that the way the pools and the, and the pots fell out, that we had one of USA or England that we are going to be based here? Yeah, it's really big for tourism, for the country in general. Um, for getting... say we've got USA coming here, not England. England will be an Oz, but we've got the US coming here. Yeah, so when I pulled the USA out, I did a little internal fist <laughs> <Yeah>. pump. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you wouldn't be allowed to show any other than here it is. Yeah, so yeah. Like, but I mean, I think you could hear, I was like, USA! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was pretty excited. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, it's just going to fill stadiums because everyone wants to see, you know, they're two times world champions. They can play. Like, if you look at the 2019 final, um, those are some athletes. Mm. They can, you know, their skill set, their just the team in general will will bring a lot of people to seats to watch and see what world class looks like. Let alone their off-field, right. for some of them, the profile, right? That's particularly some of the US women have. Yeah, and especially Megan Rapinoe, if she's going to come, if she's going to be part of that um, squad, I mean, she's just the face of everything, that woman. So, um, you know, yeah. she's done so, so much for the game and they've done a lot They've done a lot for the game as well, not just in the US but worldwide in terms of um, gender, gender mm. equity and stuff like that. So they're more than just a football team, you know. They they bring so much more than that. Mm. When you're in football and, and it's you know a sport that you have has you know that you played and, and love, how do you kind of reconcile? And I, and I love football as well, but how do you kind of reconcile the maybe unsavoury elements of FIFA, if I can put it that way, with with your love of the game? Yeah, it's. Um it it pulls you in two mm. directions for sure. Um, you know there was a, a you know the the whole corruption back in the day, and um, you know a lot of uh, FIFA big FIFA people, you know ending up in jail and and things like that. And um, it's uh, I don't know it's it's hard to reconcile actually yeah. um, because you have this such this love of the game and and to see that side of the game. Um, Come come out so big, it, um, it's su- it's super disappointing. But you still have that internal love of the game, so that type of stuff is never going to affect that. Um, but but yeah, it's it is hard when yeah. when all of that as well goes on, and it's and and it rings around. You know, it still sits there and. Um, you know, it's just something that probably won't ever go away. Yeah, and I, I guess it's the thing too, in, in all sports, right, you, you know, we start playing or watching sport because, as a kid because you love it, you love running around and being with your mates and even now there's always issues, particularly at the high performance end, right, that you have to unfortunately compartmentalise everything. Yeah, I think compartmentalise yeah. is, is a, a good word when it comes to, uh, yeah, I mean every, every sport and has their you know, political agendas and um, different. Everyone has their own agendas, left, right, and centre. And uh, you know, it's funny when when one one president leaves, everyone leaves. And when you know, I, yeah. I think I think if if you can last more than four years in FIFA, you're doing really well. So <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. It's funny. Funny, should say as you see the Aussie netballers up on the in the screen in the studio at the moment. <laughs> Everyone's got the issues. Right. Enough about everybody else's issues. Let's have a quick break, and then we'll get in and we'll talk deeply about your career, your life on and off the field. My guest on Trailblazers today is football star Maya Jackman. Wasn't the the perfect, you know, linear <laughs> career that I would have hoped for. And I um, I guess by calling it, though, in 2012, I ended on my terms. Well, that was going to say, did you, did you feel like that you did end, the, end it on your terms yeah. by getting back in or, or getting close to, you know, playing again and then making that call? Yeah, because we had the, the qualifiers in 2010. So um, I, they it was my 50th cap, so I, I kept in one of those games. 
And then I did get a call up to go to Japan. Um, and yeah, I think I had a couple of injuries going into 2012 and I just really, looking at the talent that was around me as well and the youth coming through, I was like, I'm not sure I'm going to, you know, I just don't think I am that player anymore. So yeah, I definitely felt like, because when, when you talk to athletes, they say they retire on their, you know, you, when you know, you know. Um, and I definitely knew. So it was definitely time. Yeah. yeah. We'll take another quick break here and uh, carry on talking with Maya Jackman, Football Ferns legend here on Trailblazers on SENZ. On TV and I was in awe of, and I was like, oh my God, I, I can't believe there's like actually women playing women. Because I just grew up playing with boys. Yeah. So um, to know that we were, I was going to go on this tour and play against that team potentially, um, for me, like I was probably not going to start that game. <laughs> um, yeah, crazy. Um, it was a crazy. I, I I still remember it today. It was just and my my mates at school, you know, made a um, a car like this big um, poster thing for me, and they're like, "Congrats, Maya!" and you know all yeah. that kind of stuff. And we had a little bit of a celebration, but. Um, yeah, that was my first tour and um, almost my last because it was a tough tour um, in terms of you know sort of like the hierarchical stuff that was still around with the older mm. the older players and the younger players and um, you know the younger players had to really graft really hard to to fit in and stuff like that. So I found that pretty challenging because I did play with a lot of the the these women at club level and I didn't experience it at club level and then I went to international level and and there it was and so yeah. it was really confusing for me. I mean, I've read an article you did recently with Suzanne McFadden in a locker room and it, it basically sounded like you know these older athletes were hazing the young ones. Um, so yeah, some of them do. I mean, my, mine mine just happened to be my roommate. Um, I'm not sure if it happened elsewhere in the team. Um, and, so, and and don't get me wrong, a lot of the older players were really, really lovely. Um, but I just happened to experience um, my roommate was not happy that she was roomed with the youngest player in the team and she was the oldest in the team mm. and she just wanted to be with her mates. So I get it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, to I, I mean, I froze every night because she'd take my blankets and crank up the AC and um, – pulled me out of bed because I couldn't wake up on time because I was probably bloody knackered. Yeah, because <laughs> um, you hadn't slept all night because you were freezing. Yeah, and someone would come in to get our washing and, and she'd just be like, get up, you need to get up. And I'm like, whoa, where am I? And uh, and I remember her saying, because um, I was in awe of the, the US team and they were staying near us, so I would see them in the elevator and um, I'd you know get grief for, for looking at them in awe. And she's like, whatever you do, don't ask for the autograph. That just looks terrible on your behalf and I'm like oh I really want the autograph <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah I found it really challenging and um, I rang collect home to mum <laughs> before before cell phones <laughs> and she was super excited to hear from me and I said I just want to come home mum it was a 10 day tour oh. so it was, a, it was a long one but yeah. um, but I did get my revenge back at the end a little <laughs> how so? <laughs> oh, we, we were sponsored by um, Le Snacks Uncle Toby oh, Le yeah, Snacks yeah. and um Everyone got pretty hammered on the last night. I didn't drink, so I wasn't getting hammered, and I um, just sprinkled some snacks <laughs> over my roommate and went and hid for the night when she was a bit passed out drunk. So, <laughs> uh, smeared some cheese. Yeah. Just, there's a little bit of make you feel better. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, what kept you going then? What made you decide? Where you said it was your first and almost your last. Why did you want to keep persevering? Um, oh, I just had a deep love for the game and. Um, and I realised that 
you know, I, I, I did love, I got on against Canada. I, I started against Canada. That was my debut. And um, just the feeling of, of that and the, the passion for the game kept me going. And I have really great parents who are really supportive and really good people around me. So I was able to sort of um, let all that out and deal with it at the time and, and then just sort of move on and, and hope that for the next time it would be a little bit different. And I always... Um, swore black and blue that if I became a senior player that I would treat everyone across the board the same. Didn't mm. matter who they were, how old they were, where they came in, whatever, yeah. Who was sort of formative in those early stages of, of your career, I guess getting you to that point, but then in those early years of your international career? Um, I mean, my parents were very, very yeah. formative, yeah. they Because um, you were originally from Northland, is that yeah. right? And then went to school in Auckland though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so originally from Kerikeri. And played with boys till I was sixteen. You couldn't play with boys after that, so moved down to Auckland. My my whole my family moved their entire life down to Auckland um, to not just for football because I also played cricket and volleyball and athletics. So I had to sort of channel and choose at one point. Um, and so yeah, they they moved their whole life down for me. So that was very like uh, that was a uh, you know defining moment I guess in my sporting career. Not that I. Felt grateful at the time because I was a snotty fifteen-year-old. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't want to live in Auckland. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, and then, and then moving forward, um, oh, so many influential people in my life. Um, Kevin Fallon was one of them. It's funny because a lot of people, like most people, know that name, and they would know the gruff man on the sideline. But he has been so formative in so many careers of, yeah. of generations. Yeah, no, he has, and uh, he. I mean, he spotted me up north. Um, thought I was a boy. And said he wanted me in his centre of excellence because I look like a bloke, and um, and someone said to him, oh, "That's a girl," and he said, "I don't, I don't actually care because her skill set is good enough; she can come down." So he sort of got me down there and then introduced me to Barbara Cox. Um, you know, first New Zealand captain we've had um, was the coach of Eden at the time, and told Mum that I, you know, had a fighting chance down here. So. And after that, you know, she was a massive, massive influence in me, on me. Yeah. Obviously, you, your career progressed and, and you established yourself and became a senior player. Go with that 07 World Cup. What sticks out from from that time? Oh, it has to be walking out into the stadium for our first game. Brazil are doing all their dancing <laughs> and chanting and we're just like, what the heck have we just walked into? Um, and just standing there... And just looking across to my teammates, and just the the look that we all have on our faces, like, can you believe it? Can we like sixty thousand people watching, and we're about to play in the biggest game of our lives? That I mean, that was just such a standout. That game in particular. I mean, all three games mm. were, but um, always for me, just just the people that were surrounding me at the time. I'll always remember. You know, I've made so many great friends. Um, through football, and and it's always the people that stand out. Yeah, you you missed. Uh, I think it was a year. Uh, yeah, what it mean? A year after the 07 World Cup, missed out on the Beijing Olympic team. Your career obviously hasn't been, wasn't this perfect linear kind of thing. What do you learn, and and where does the resilience come from when it's a, a roller coaster like that? Yeah, um, yeah, that one s- stuck with me for a while. It took me a while to get over that one because I was sort of at the. I felt like at the height of my career at 2007, um, I was named in the technical group as one of the best defenders. Um, I w- I'd just played in the FIFA All-Stars. Um, so I felt like I was sort of finally hitting my straps, even though I was, I don't know, in my 30s, 32 maybe. 
Um, Early thirties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then and then it just all spiraled um, to where I couldn't even you know make the team and they went to um, the Ferns went to the Peace Queen Cup. Um, right before Beijing and that's pretty much the team they will take and um, I got the phone call that I wouldn't be in that team and I was like man I've got a lot to prove to get me into that um, Olympic team and I honestly trained like a demon Um, I was going through a lot personally so it was a hard it was hard off the field stuff Um, so I had to try and leave that behind because that's why I got into the space that I did with not being able to be chosen um, and so I managed to do that, trained really well, played a really great game for the last throw of the dice, um, but it just wasn't good enough. So, um, yeah, I mean, I try. I kept trying again. Um, I made a couple of tours after that. Um, I thought I did enough to make the 2011 World Cup. Um, and then 2012, uh, I had a chat with Tony um, Redding, who was the coach. He'd just taken over from John Herdman. And we had this chat um, 10 weeks out from the Olympics and I said, just be honest with me, that's all I want. Um, And he said, if I was to take a team tomorrow, I wouldn't take you, but you've got 10 weeks to prove it. And I said, no, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. I can't. I can't go anymore. And he was like, oh, my God, I can't believe Maya Jackman's going to go out on my, you know, on my watch kind of thing. He felt a little bit stink, but... um, but yeah, and that and that's where it ended. And then I did my ACL like a couple of months later, so it wow. wouldn't, have, wouldn't have mattered. Yeah, um, yeah. So I don't know resilience. I mean, it, it taught me a lot. I went to a really, you know, a lot of dark places, not just with football, but personally as well. And um, I just sort of uh, met it. I get. I guess I met it as a friend in the end because life is full of ups and downs and I knew that that wouldn't be the last down that I would have and that I need to be prepared for, you know, the shit that comes your way either in life or in sport. So, I could, yeah, I definitely carried on and tried and, and gave it my all. But, um, yeah, like you said, it wasn't the, the perfect, you know, linear <laughs> career that I would have hoped for. And I, um, I guess by calling it, though, in 2012, I ended on my terms. Well, that was going to say, did you, did you feel like that you did end, the, end it on your terms yeah. by getting back in or, or getting close to, you know, playing again and then making that call? Yeah, because we had the, the qualifiers in 2010. So um, I, they, it was my 50th cap, so I, I kept in one of those games. And then I did get a call up to go to Japan. Um, and, yeah, I think I had a couple of injuries going into 2012 and I just really, looking at the talent that was around me as well and the youth coming through, I was like, I'm not sure I'm going to, you know, I just don't think I am that player anymore. So, yeah, I definitely felt like, because when, when you talk to athletes, they say they retire on their, you know, you, when you know, you know. Um, and I definitely knew. So it was definitely time. Yeah. yeah. We'll take another quick break here and uh, carry on talking with Maya Jackman, Football Ferns legend here on Trailblazers on SENZ. You're listening to Trailblazers on SENZ. I'm Ricky Swanell and I'm chatting today with Maya Jackman. We've just been talking, Maya, about, I guess, how your career came to an end. But it's a strange thing, right? One career finishes and you're, what, 32 in your early 30s and you're all of a sudden retired. So... How did you kind of deal with that side of it, like the getting ready for the next phase of your life? We see it a lot with athletes now. It is still a real struggle sometimes. Yeah, I think um, I guess the good thing about uh, being involved with 
international games from a young like 1993 it was very ad hoc so you had to have other things that you were yep. doing anyway so um, I had a career I was a physio um, at, you know like I, I studied physio right through my playing career um, sports science and physio so I had all of that in place um, and I had a lot of stuff outside of football as well anyway so when it came to retiring um, it wasn't so so bad Um it was the point I think I sort of the back end of my career was when things started to get more and more professional um, and I had had a stint in China uh, as a professional player as well and um, so I felt like I'd just done all the things that that I wanted to sort of do in football and I um, I didn't really struggle when I retired. I had lots of things that I was doing and, and I went travelling in 2013 with no agenda I just went on my own. Awesome. I went to Europe. I went, uh, you know, had a few hairy moments, um, <laughs> learned a lot about myself, learned that I could just go and do stuff. And I, I mean, there was one time in a, in a train station in Italy and I had this huge, you know, football ferns bag packed. And I'm like, there's no like 20 other people to look after my bag. <laughs> the hell am I going to do and I said can you tell me where the bathroom is and they pointed and so I'm like and all on the floor is just crap like gross but there's the only place I could go so I had to like do a like sumo lift my bag up onto my chest and then above my head and then try and pull my pants down at the same time (laughs) (laughs) and go to the bathroom so I'm like wow this is where teammates definitely come in handy um but yeah, that just that travelling on my own and meeting up with friends that I'd made through throughout my course of the of my career um, on my journey was just super super, I guess, cementing that um, that there is life outside of sport and there's lots to do and lots to see. Mm. Yeah, but it, yeah, <laughs> the glamour of travel. Yeah. <laughs> but is it, um, do you? I guess when you're for athletes, you guys you put so much into and so much dedication to something that you almost have to put aside other parts of your life, be it families or, or travel, or as you say, when, you, you, when you're having personal issues, it can't affect the other side of you? Yeah. Um, yeah, you do have to, like, compartmentalise yeah, yeah. Um, pretty much sometimes, and, and it becomes all-encompassing. But you're, I guess for me, in a team sport, you're with people that are doing the same thing, so you're not alone on that journey. Um, but... Yeah, there's lots that you miss out on. There's lots that you can't do. Like we couldn't go skiing in the winter in case you broke something. Yeah. And um, so when when I retired, I was like, yeah, I can do all of those things and and not be too, you know, no one's going to get on my back for for doing those things. But it does give you some good life skills, um, you know, post sport. I think it's made me a pretty good mum. Um, and uh, you know, because I've I've got like schedules and stuff like that in in that way yeah yeah and 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 I mean my my daughter had um a lot of medical issues when she was when she was a little bit after she was born and the I don't think I could have done what I did with her if I didn't have that mentality of just determination and um just sticking at it which is fighting for something and fighting for something yeah and I obviously she's my daughter so it's next level fighting but um just all the things that I had to do to make sure that she was okay um, if, yeah, I don't. I always say to people, if I wasn't a high performing athlete, I'm not sure how I would have got through that because wow. it just it just teaches you resilience and how to get through some really tough times and how to push through. Yeah. Is she yeah. good now? She's amazing. Cool. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. good. You you stayed in, you, you have stayed involved in the sport and in sport. Um, you you worked at, as a women's development with New Zealand football. Yep. So I was a woman women's development manager. So I had um, 
uh, you know, that's looking mostly at grassroots and making sure that the game is growing and, and strategies around growing the game and keeping the game in a good space. Um, also had a lot to do with the um, high performance side of things as well, which I was able to integrate into the job description. Um, and so I got to see my friends a lot as well and do a lot with them, which was really cool. And, and just know that I was sort of making a difference um, in, in football was really good. Um, I wasn't there very long before I got pregnant. So, um, but yeah, I've I've just been in and around the game since I came out of it. Yeah. yeah. And now, am I right? You're back at back being a physio. Yes. At yep. Mags at Mount Albert Grammar. Yep, that's the one. That's I mean, school sport is a that's a whole other. We could do, do another three hours just talking about that. What do you see in, in young athletes now? And I guess when I played, we were just having a rock around, but they are young athletes now. Yeah, I mean, um, they have academies now for every sport. So these kids are in these academies, um, be it rugby, cricket, football. Um, I mean, we yeah, like like you, we just sort of went into the first eleven or second eleven <laughs> and had a bit of a bash around and hope for the best. But yeah, there's definite pathways now in school um, where you can make it to the you know to make it to the first fifteen or the first eleven. Like you have to have those pathways now, and then it sort of I don't think though prepares them enough for the next level when they come out of school. So there's a bit of a gap there, I feel, because. You see with a, quite a few rugby players, they're a big fish in a little pond and then they get into the professional side and all of a sudden they're a smaller fish in a big pond. So there's probably a little bit of a gap there that could that could be um, somehow um, bridged somehow. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean the, the types of hours these kids are doing, I wasn't doing that as a football fern. So we've seen a lot of different injuries now and sports doctors are seeing new different injuries from overtraining and all that kind of stuff. So... There's a fine line between, you know, being sort of professional at school and then mm. making sure that they're still kids, you know. It feels like it's a, a, I mean, it's been bubbling away for a long time and it's maybe starting to become, not come to a head. We've seen it with the rugby thing with the 1A comp not going to be on the tally anymore, which I personally agree with. That's my view, but um, that we, something's going to have to give because there's so much pressure on these kids these days. Yeah, the, the the yeah the pressure on these kids from um, different coaches—they're getting pulled in different directions. So if they're good at one sport, you know, more than one sport, they're going to get pulled. There's no, you know, when we played, it was summer and winter yeah. sport. Now it's just all year round for every sport, pretty much. You know, once they finish their season, then there's trainings after that. I'm like, oh, when are you guys stopping? And they're like, we don't stop. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they they're getting burnt out. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them at an early age, and you see a lot of really talented kids just drop out really early. Yeah, but then at the same time, like, to, there's some that you just go, "What an amazing opportunity!" You look at Sylvia Brunt from Mag, like she was at Mags last year, now playing in the Blackfins. You know that. Is, so it's it's really double edged in some because it's an outlet too. Yeah, it is double edged. Oh, Sylvia, no, she came in a few times, <laughs> and, and she? um, oh, she's <laughs> such a great girl, such a great girl, really humble. Um, and and I feel like the ones that do um, have a you know a really good sort of balance in their lives like you know really family orientated yeah. and all the rugby girls are great they're just a real big family and they they do have a little bit of balance going on if I you know if I look at them compared to um, other sports um, but yeah it's just trying to strike that balance is super hard yeah. and then you add study in as well <laughs> that's right school work yeah school yeah. work on the away from that side is a very different stage of life. You, your clever clogs, have gone and written a book as well. Well, oh, yeah. co-authored a book with, with your friend Michelle Cox about middle age. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that project and, and how it came about and, and what you've got out of it. 
Yeah, it's uh, um, so. Was it murdering middle age? Murdering middle age. Yeah, is it murdering you or are you murdering it? So, yeah. Um, so it's Michelle's an author. She's already put out you know six books and got some more coming on the way. Kids books. Um, and so she was going through a lot of issues that you know kind of coincide, and it's a bit of a cluster other word um, at, at this age and she was all of a sudden dealing with all these different issues that we have in midlife and um, and I just happened, we, we're kind of friends that we come, we you know she was in Switzerland for 10 years so we kind of keep in touch and when we catch up we catch up, it's really cool and um, I just happened to be around when she was going through a lot and um, just was sort of a bit of a sounding board, I think. Um, I love helping people. I love helping my friends, and um, you know, always, always there for a for a shoulder. And um, and she just said to me one day, "I think I'm going to write a book. Do you want to help me?" And I was like, "Yeah," without knowing what the heck I was getting well, myself yeah, into. Hang on a second. Yeah, what were you getting into? Um, so yeah, it was a it was an almost a two year project because of COVID. So in the book, we had a lot of photography that we needed doing we interviewed 26 different women through different stages of midlife and asked them how they were dealing with it some weren't some were and they were happy to come and share their stories and and from there we had different themes that popped out so we found a a psychologist well my own sports psychologist slash life psychologist who I've been um, seeing for 14 years on and off um, because I think it's important Um, and then I sort of Pointed uh, Michelle in, in her way as well, and just to help her through a couple of things. And then we thought, well, why don't we bring her into the book as well and use her as a framework for the book, um, so that we're not just two middle-aged women spouting stuff that may not have any premise or anything like that. So, yeah, it was it was a huge, huge, actually huge project. Um, and I got the the actual book in my hand not that long ago, and I was just like, wow, it's it's a real thing, but. Um, we had a, a book launch um, a few weeks ago and Paula, the psychologist, Paula Denon, was there and she's like, do you just feel on top of the world about this? And I said, look, you of anyone should know the arrival, what do they call it, the, the arrival theory or phenomenon. So it's like uh, Olympians, you know, they're going for that gold medal and then they get it and they're like, uh, okay, cool. Oh. It's, uh, it, it'll sink in later. So it's all that dopamine hit that your body has throughout the time that you're trying to reach a goal and then when you arrive, it's like not as amazing as everyone thinks it would be. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of research on it. And so I was like, it's like exams, you know, when you finish exams, you're like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. So that that's kind of how I felt at the time because it was such a big tr- project and there was so much put into it and you were just having these moments and moments along the way to reach your goal and you finally get there and it's like well uh, yeah but like now as it's all sunk in I'm like oh my god amazing yeah, yeah. is it um without getting too psychological or anything is it, is it an, an age group particularly women that can become invisible a little bit in, in society is that something that came through yeah there there are a lot of women that around their 50s that mm. said I feel like I don't exist because yeah um you know we're in a, a very youthful culture in the you know western side of the world. You go to the other side of the world, and and the elder older people are really, you know, celebrated, and um, you know their wisdom is celebrated, and it's not here. It's a really pop young culture. So um, yeah, a lot of women do feel like they disappear all of a sudden, and they're not important, and um, that came that came up a lot. Yeah. Mm. Murdering Middle Age is the book by Maya Jackman and Dr Michelle Cox. A little bit more to come here on Trailblazers on SCNZ back in a moment. 
You're listening to Trailblazers, where my guest today has been football legend, published author, physio, everything else, great mum as well, Maya Jackman. Um, we started obviously by talking about the, the FIFA Women's World Cup, which is coming to New Zealand next year. Where are we at with women's football in this country at the moment? That is a very big, broad question. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, how long's a piece of string? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, there's always more that can be done. Um, I, you know, usually it comes down to a resource issue. You know, we have so much, only so much resource, and you've got to try and um, fund grassroots and fund high performance and fund all these different things. And um, I think the Catch-22, uh, you know, when when the girls were getting um, performance enhancement grants um, as, as football ferns, uh, you had to be winning to get money and you had to, get money to try and win so it was like this yeah. catch-22 with funding and I think that's the same with um, just football in general I mean the All Whites put on an amazing spectacle um, uh, not not that long ago at Eden Park so that you know the men's game is definitely getting better um, the women's game like we're, we're we've made every World Cup since 2007 now so um, yeah it's I mean, grassroots. There's there's more kids playing football than than any other sport. I think last last time I was there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> checking the stats. Um, so it's in a good space grassroots wise. Yeah. Um, high performance. There's still a long way to go. But again, it's that whole resource. We're so far away from, you know, every other country. You know, if you if you're playing in Europe, your next door neighbour's France or Denmark or Norway or whatever, and you just can games get there. there so easily and. I think the um, the last World Cup, I think the girls had not very many many games compared to the uh, the European yeah. girls that had had like twelve or fifteen games by the time that we'd had two. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's a really tough space, um, and it, it, you know as we said before, New Zealand don't know what's going to hit them. New Ze- uh, football's not not a sport that's um, you know it's getting up there, but it's it's not rugby, it's not netball. Um, it's definitely harder to get sponsors and resources and all those types of things, and 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 it and it does come down to the the product as well as of the football ferns and the all whites and how often they're played here. Like sponsors need them to be here to be, yeah. you know, you know all that kind of stuff. So it's where do you get the money and where do you get the resources? Because yes, we want to do all these different things and do all the you know do all the best things, but you can't do it on a shoestring budget yeah. half the time. Have we have we missed some opportunities as, as well? I think back maybe 10 years or so ago and there was a really great crop of players that were coming through, as you say, qualifying for World Cups over and over that perhaps wasn't capitalised on here in terms of profile and marketing and all of those kind of things? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, the two thousand and eight under seventeens World Cup that that probably yeah. that probably was a missed opportunity. I feel like because that was like the girls that are here now, um, in the World Cup now. So, what well, you know, quite a few of them, um, and maybe didn't quite capitalise. Um, again, like with the whole marketing, a lot of the girls now are, are, are offshore and you know playing their trade over in Europe or America or Australia. So. Um, it's really hard to market them when they're not here. Um, so getting them here more often is definitely key um, and hopefully we capitalise on it next year when they're, they're here in the country and this World Cup is here. Like We can't, we can't not capitalise on this one. Yeah. What would you like to see in place? And I know there's already been some good things being said for the football ferns from, from now until, well, be over this time next year, but, but between now and the World Cup. 
Yeah, it's just games, isn't yeah. it? And um, I mean, they're here. They're coming home um, in November twelfth and fifteenth to play North Korea, and then they've got Portugal in February here um, because there's that the still qualifying that tournament. Quali- yeah. yeah, qualifying tournament still to come. So, um, and I think there's a couple more windows where they'll be here. So. Um, uh, it's just getting them together more often and being able to, you know, Yitka's got a big, um, you know, she's she's got big shoes to fill for these girls to do some big things at home. And I know she's got some really great ideas and listening to some of the girls saying that she just allows them to play, you know, mistakes, it's okay, we, we can do that. We're still almost a year out um, and just trying to still figure out that um, that brand of football that they want to play. I mean, it's a passing game they want to play. I was going to ask you, have you seen that style under Yit Canal starting to come through? Yeah, definitely the the passing game and the you know be be you be what whatever is you, what strength you bring. Um, I feel like that's where she wants the players to be and not have like just a one sort of strategy for every team. Like, you know, a lot of girls have their different strengths. So, you know, play to their strengths and allow them to play to their strengths and not squash them too much. Yeah. Do you, will you be involved or have you, have you do you keep your hand in with, with the, f- the ferns at all? Or Yeah, I mean, um, I, don't, I don't know what capacity I'll be involved in. I am uh, an ambassador for the, for the World Cup um yeah, um, with the local wealth, uh, the local organising committee, have, um, there's a, a group of us um, beyond greatness ambassadors. So I think it's a, a mix of business, sport, and TV people. Um, so there's, there'll be that element. But um, yeah, I mean, I'd love to be involved in some way, shape, or form above that. Yeah. Have you? Would you ever go into coaching? No, not, it's not my thing. Nah. Yeah, I try. I tried. They um, <laughs> Tony took me to Japan in 2012 after the Olympics, and he was then under 20s coach as well. And they took me um, to see if I wanted to deep dive into coaching, and I was just like, nah, <laughs> no, nah, not my thing. Good to know, though. Yeah, good to know. Good to know. Thing. I always though I always like to put people on the spot with these ones. Who was the best you played with, and who was the best you played against? Oh, best I played with. Um, Wendy Sharp is a. This is going back a long time. <laughs> um, she was Unreal um, and Debbie Pullen. So those are two names from the nineties um, who were skillful but really gritty and nutty and just you know did things that I think we were lacking a little bit these days. They could score goals like there was no tomorrow, and that's what we not got. Yeah. We don't have that at the moment. So. Um, we need out and out goal scorers, and those those two were out and out goal scorers. Is that scorers. a killer instinct thing in front of goal, or yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like a yeah, it's definitely an instinct. And these two women were just would score out of nothing. So um, yeah, we're we're lacking that, um, and we have for a long time. So um, whether it's a player that we've got already and they just haven't found that yet, and hopefully that comes out. I'm not sure, but. Um, yeah, what was the other one? Who's uh, the best, who's the best ag- you played against? Oh, God. I'll, everyone. Maya, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much um, for your time and your openness and best of luck with being an ambassador and the book and everything like that. Murdering Middle Ages, the book. But thank you so much for being with us on Trailblazers, Maya Jackman. Thank you for having me.